As you turn to uh, Luke chapter 16, this will be our last message now uh, in the series of Luke until the end of summer. We're going to start the Timeless Ten, our series on the Ten Commandments. Next week will be an intro. Uh, The next two weeks after that, I'll be on vacation. Pastor Weiler will be preaching number one and number two. You don't want to miss that. He's come up, he's found some great stuff. And uh, so please, uh, a great opportunity here with an 11-week series to invite your neighbors, friends, and, and uh, even those who are unsaved. You tell them, hey, we're going to do a series about the Ten Commandments. And most of them will say, I've heard of those. And they might think it's a good thing to come and listen. So we're looking very much, uh, very much forward to the summer series. A principle from last week that I want to remind each of us as we begin is that Christ is a very generous Lord, very generous Lord and Master, who wants to reward us. It's His desire to reward us, uh, and for us to have the greatest possible experience throughout eternity. You can't forget that. You can't forget that. Uh, a lot of uh, His motivations, not only that He be glorified as He should, but that his people, that, that he can bestow upon them eternal blessings. Our passage will refer to it as, as true riches today. Uh, so don't just think that uh, Jesus is only concerned about your money. You know, a lot of people make that mistake. Well, churches are just always about money. It's much deeper than that. His love for us is so deep. And it's indisputable in Scripture. As you, as you read through many passages There's a fact that degree of reward, degree of reward or level of reward, and therefore experience in heaven are going to vary. Think about that. They're going to vary. Just as we've learned while studying Luke that punishment in hell will be dispensed according to the level of knowledge of sin and degree of sin, uh, rewards also in heaven will be proportionately assigned. Would any of us truly expect that uh, someone who has been trustworthy their entire life, serving in all kinds of ways, uh, giving of themselves, of, of their time, of their resources, would be rewarded uh, in exactly the same way as someone who has wasted, even a true Christian who has wasted away their life, um, No. None of us would expect that. Not even rational. In fact, we uh, find this idea of a varied and a just reward, a righteous reward, in many places in Scripture. Perhaps it's no clearer than 1 Corinthians chapter 3. There Paul uses himself in Apollos, another early church uh, servant, as examples when he says, What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one, I planted, says Paul, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. God is the cause of growth. We are witnesses for him. Uh, So Paul says, then neither the one who plants, meaning himself, nor the one who waters, meaning Apollos, is anything, but God who causes the growth. Then he says this, now he who plants... And he who waters are one. That means they function in unity together. But each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. It's a principle repeated in many different passages in Scripture. 
Last week in verses 1 through 9 of Luke chapter 16, we saw a manager who was placed in charge of his landlord's wealth. In such a way, uh, he handled it that once the master returned in order to audit the books, in order to check everything, he managed it in a way so he would be able to continue to enjoy the benefits of that estate even after the landlord, the master, returned. In a similar way, Jesus urges his disciples to make friends for yourself using that which God has entrusted to you. That's everything. Make friends for yourself so that when Christ returns to audit our books, you will enjoy lasting benefits in heaven. You'll be welcomed into their eternal dwellings. Send it on ahead, is what Jesus is saying. Send it on ahead. Uh, Use the earthly wealth that you manage, actually which belongs to God. You're the manager. Use the earthly wealth you manage to win people to Christ so that when all is said and done, throughout eternity, those same friends that you've won to Christ will welcome you into their homes, welcome you into eternal dwellings. And though details are sparse, of that day, of that experience. We know enough. And my impression is, (laughs) truly, my impression is that there is going to be a special relationship between people who serve and support Vacation Bible School and the children and the young families who come to faith through that and, and other similar outreaches. There appears there's going to be a special bond between those who sacrifice to pay for and physically maintain this property, for instance, and those who come to faith hearing the gospel preached in this, in this same property. There will surely be a special relationship between you and the waitress who comes to Christ when you re- leave a respectful tip along with a gospel tract and are kind to her and speak to her uh, the goodness of Jesus, and so on and so on. God has provided to each of us, that'll be coming up in a minute, God has provided to each of us a stewardship, a stewardship with enormous potential for reward. And our reward will be reflective of how we manage it. You may have little money, but you might have much time. You might have much money, but little health in order to serve. You might be, have giftedness to speak or to sing or to play instruments or to serve. Um, you might be one who encourages the downtrodden, especially gifted in that. But when it comes to finances, especially finances, each of us are stewards. We've been entrusted with exactly what God has chosen to pro- uh, provide to us according to our own ability. You know, earlier we read the parable of the talents, Matthew chapter 25. And, and Jesus said, be on the alert, for the Son of Man is coming in a day that you don't expect it. Be ready. And then he says, for it's just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one each according to his own ability. And then he went on a journey. Now you probably realize that that talents in ancient Israel uh, were a measure of money. 
A talent was a unit of weight, much like we um, use ounces of gold today. Talent was a measure of weight. And Matthew 25, it's an appropriate parallel to Luke chapter 16, because both passages are primarily talking about how we manage money, primarily. Um, what we've been entrusted with, the wealth, the resources we've been entrusted with while our master is away. But at the same time, we can't lose sight of the, the broader talents that are delegated to us as well. Skills, abilities, understandings. Because the fact is that money, well, money remains pretty worthless and pretty useless until it's converted into something. Follow me? You, you can't very well eat it. I don't know if anyone here has tried that. You can't put it in the tank of your car because your car won't run on it. And in the same way, Christians must manage and convert our money in a way that is useful to ministry. In fact, we we can discern that the parable of the talents is referring more to, uh, to more than just money because in the parable, the faithful stewards are commended. They're commended for gaining another five talents, another two talents, actually doubling the value in each of those cases, returning to their master an increase, all right? But nobody here is expecting that, that Jesus, when he comes, or, or uh, when he returns, will be pleased with the idea of just collecting more money, right? Because it's really just useless, unless it's been converted into something. So, so the parable is a story to, to give a spiritual truth. That though we have measures of money, what he really wants it converted to is something that will please him when he returns. Um, he, Jesus isn't interested in collecting a, a bunch of money. We know that. Um, even though the parable measures the increase in talents as well. It's not about money. It's, it's about return on investment, or an ROI. What can be done with properly managing money, the kingdom work that can be achieved. So the parable of the talents in Luke 16 concerns money, but it's not solely about money. There must be a point of conversion or or an exchange into into true kingdom riches. True riches, our our text says today. Uh, Riches that will remain long after uh, your, your gold master visa card is melted down with, with, with the earth and all of its elements when Christ returns. That's Second Peter 3, verse 10. To amass true riches that will transfer, that will survive into heaven, money must be converted in earth in, in a manner where it converts people to Christ. There has to be some point of exchange. Uh, this is why Jesus says, store up your treasure in heaven. You know what the beauty is? Beauty is you don't have to go to one of those little glass windows in the international terminal, the airport, you know, where you exchange currency. You don't have to go to any place like that to exchange your money. You don't even have to go to the airport. No, the, the, the ways to convert are countless. They're innumerable. Um, as I said earlier, now I'm ready for that. A, your money can be converted with a kind word and a generous tip and a gospel tract. That's one conversion into kingdom riches. 
whether or not they accept the gospel or not. You're not responsible for that. You'll be rewarded for sharing. Um, it can be converted through sponsoring a Bible translation team in India, as our church does with Kim Hibbard. You can see her there. She is on the left in both of those photos working with teams to transfer uh, uh, the Bible into remote languages. It can be converted through resources to improve buildings and grounds. Money can be converted by parents through providing music lessons that exalt Christ in worship. That's a conversion to kingdom riches. And it can even be converted educating preachers who will reach later generations. There he is right there. As we have assisted Pastor Weiler through seminary in our general budget, learning how to eat nutter butters. Good stuff, good stuff. You get the picture? It can be converted in all kinds of ways that are going to pay dividends in the future kingdom. It's great stuff, it's great stuff. The ways that this can be done are just innumerable. Please don't tell me this one thing, though. Just one thing, please don't tell me. That God isn't concerned about how you, measure, uh, how you manage your money. Don't say that. I've heard that before. Or that God doesn't need my money. You know, it's just the church is just a spiritual thing. God doesn't need my money. That is a very fake spiritual argument. None of these things can be achieved, as we just saw, without converting to kingdom dollars, if I could call it that. True riches. Uh, a Christian cannot come to that type of conclusion uh, through Scripture. Nowhere in Scripture you're going to find that. God hasn't given us our estate to manage only for our own enjoyment. He has given to you and to me uh, an estate to manage uh, for the growth of his kingdom. True riches, true riches that will last. Um, For the man entrusted with five talents, he returned rejoicing that he had gained for his master five more talents. The same with the man entrusted with two talents. He gained for his master two more. And when the, man, when Christ, when the master returned, speaking, uh, it's a reference to Christ, when the master returned, both men were told, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Didn't matter how much they had. It's how they manage what they had. It was only the wicked and lazy slave uh, who provided no return. Had no return. Not not even that his master would enjoy an increase in interest. Nothing was used for the kingdom in in his scenario. So so it is, with him, it's not possible for the Christian to enter into that scenario. For a truly genuine Christian to not use his estate at all for the kingdom of God Um, that servant in Matthew 25, verse 30, he's not a genuine Christian, for the master says this, throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, that's surely not the place that Christians are sent, I can assure you. So that third scenario is not a Christian scenario. The place of weeping and gnashing of teeth is where the unbelievers are sent. Surely a person 
who is not faithful with a little can't be entrusted with much. Can't be trusted managing true riches in heaven because they weren't faithful with even just a little. But before reading the passage in Luke, uh, which I think I think's already explained, and I have to admit, um, for us, for Christians, before we, we read the passage, there's a learning curve. There is a learning curve. Don't hang your head low um, if you don't feel that you've been doing enough. None of us has been doing enough. There, there's a learning curve, um, and it's progressive. At the first rebirth, at the first moment of rebirth, the joy of our salvation... As newborn babes in Christ, we'll do anything for the Lord, right? We'll go to a far-off land. We'll go to China, Mongolia. Um, we'll go to Detroit. We'll go anywhere, right? Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go. That, that lasts for a little while. That's the excitement of the new birth. That's followed by the spoiled teenage years. I call it spiritual adolescence, normally. There are exceptions to this, but normally... Uh, just as some teenagers, some, not all, some teenagers think they know everything. I was one of them when I was a kid. I really thought I knew everything. Dad got really, really smart the older I got. Um, just as teenagers seem to think they know everything, spiritual adolescents come to the stage where, with great wisdom, they hatch profound theological theories. I'll share a few with you. You've heard them. You've heard them. Since I have discovered that God now owns a cattle on a thousand hills, and I've even heard he's, He owns the hills, well, then He surely doesn't need my money. Right? Wrong. Wrong. Or here's another one. You know, salvation is free. It is free. Scripture says it's free. I can fulfill all of my con- uh, Christian responsibilities through just handing out gospel tracts and sharing the gospel. Again, wrong. In fact, we even say to ourselves, you know, probably, probably God doesn't even want that dirty money. He probably wouldn't even want it. Then we persuade ourselves He doesn't want it, and then we enter, enter into the most philosophical phase. We figure, well, you know, since I've learned that the, that the church is not a building, and we know that, right? The church is God's people. The, the, the congregating of, of souls that are redeemed. But we learn that since church is a living organism comprised of believers and not a physical building, we then conclude that, well, maybe churches shouldn't even have buildings. You know, God probably wouldn't want me wasting my money on something as so temporal as a building. Uh, he wouldn't want me to give and maintain that. I, I've heard all of these multiple times, all different locations. I'm thankful that nobody here holds that last view. Because it's painfully evident that everyone here is enjoying air conditioning, right? We like seats. The bathroom, one of the most popular places. We all enjoy buildings. And as we've come to maturity in Christ, now being spiritually mature, we realize people who worship really like buildings. They really enjoy buildings. They keep us out of the sun, out of the snow. Why Christian colleges, churches, and seminaries have been using buildings since the very beginning. Buildings are important. I hear a lot of kickback uh, in different circles on, well, these buildings shouldn't just have buildings. No, we need buildings. And I know this is all kind of humorous, but I think if we are honest with ourselves, 
we, we would all probably acknowledge that we've passed through one of these phases at one time or another after we came to Christ and trying to reason through all of this stuff about money. Um, in fact, one insightful person once said that the last part of the Christian who is sanctified is usually the wallet. Usually the wallet. The last to become holy and set apart to the Lord. And I'm going to confess... I'm going to confess that when I was first saved, short period, uh, a phase uh, I went through, I figured that since I was doing a lot of witnessing, and I was, I was handing out a lot of gospel tracts, and, and I know some of you have heard some of those stories, and I was going to the park and, and, and really on fire for the Lord, and, and I believe that I was behaving very spiritual in that regard of sharing the gospel, and that is spiritual. But therefore, I concluded that you know God probably isn't all that concerned about my money as long as I'm sharing the gospel. I, I gave my wallet an exemption for a season. Now over the last week or so, I've changed my mind on all of that. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Because I discovered the reason that I chose to think that way wasn't because I read it in Scripture. It, it was a scheme that I fabricated to defend my wallet. And what I discovered was that, that, that although I had become a Christian, my wallet remained an atheist. He did. And, and what I discovered I had to do was ask God that he would convert my wallet. That my wallet would have some faith. Because we can't serve both God and money. We can't. Let's read the passage. I'm going to make a few closing comments after that. Maybe we'll just get out here a little early today. No protesting, please. In Luke 16, I will begin reading back in verse 9. Jesus said, Make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. Again, we see this is primarily about money, managing money. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you uh, the true riches to you? And if you've not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, meaning Christ's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Well, in verse 10, managing God's wealth, it's an issue of character. He who is faithful in a very little thing is also faithful in much. Um, this last Wednesday in our men's Bible study, we've been studying through Genesis. We're just about at the end. We're going to finish up right before summer ministries. And uh, last Wednesday, Nathan Buchanan, as we were studying through the life of Joseph, who was enslaved and po- sold into slavery, ended up in Potiphar's house, ended up managing the household, uh, and then excelled after he was uh, um, put into prison, excelled in prison, and uh, he served everywhere he went. But what Nathan brought up is, what was most astonishing is that um, Joseph continued to serve faithfully 
even after he'd gotten all this money. After he had become second only to, to Pharaoh in the kingdom, he'd gotten all the power and all the money, and he remained faithful all the way through to the end. It's a great biblical principle. Joseph began with a very little thing. He was sold into slavery. But Scripture tells us, he who is faithful in a very little thing is also faithful in much, right? Christ knows that those of us who are faithful in managing tiny things, even managing a household like for Potiphar, um, he knows we can also handle managing much because it's a character thing with money. Likewise, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. What a, what a great promise. What a wonderful promise. You don't need to be found to have much in order to be found faithful. How wonderful is that for all of us? Can you think of a better motivation to Christian service? Anything that would be greater than knowing that you have a Lord who wants to reward you generously, generously when you see him in heaven. You may have five talents. You might have two talents. You might have one talent. You might not even think you have any talent. But the reward for faithfully managing both was identical. The reward was identical. Um, Both men were put in charge of many things. Because what they managed that was small, they did well. So it doesn't matter how much you've been entrusted with in this life. It doesn't matter at all. You don't have to feel bad if you have a little. It's probably easier to manage for a lot of us. Um, you could be a pastor of a church with 30 people in it. You might think, woe is me. Little church, little Sunday school, little Bible study. You might be a person, a man or a woman who's teaching a Sunday school in that same church and you've got like three people there, three little kids. And you're like, oh, woe is me. No, don't think that way. God has allotted to each one just as he has seen fit. Uh, You might be an encourager to that same church, a small church. You could be a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. You could have all kinds of money. You could pastor a church of 5,000 people. Size doesn't appear to matter. The only thing that matters is how faithful you are with that which you have been specifically entrusted with. Therefore, every Christian here today has the same opportunity. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? We all have the same opportunity to be faithful with what we have, even if it's a little. And Jesus motivates us by ensuring that when found faithful, He'll place us in charge of much. He, he, he hangs that, that reward carrot. He hangs it out there. Jesus is not afraid to hang out the reward. Some people say, oh, I don't think it's spiritual to talk about awards. Jesus talked again and again about rewards. Um, there are errors. Here, here's one theological error. Uh, some motivate to giving and service with a, with a fear. With a fear that you might lose your salvation. You show up and serve, you better serve or else. You better give of your money or else. It's going to prove that you've lost your salvation. That goes on. Um, 
That would establish a salvation based on works. Fortunately, we have Romans chapter 8. Chapter 8 and verse 1, For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. No condemnation for us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, lest anyone should boast. And although verse 10 there adds that we were saved for the purpose of good works, we're not saved by doing works. Works are a result of salvation. They are a consequent of salvation. They are not a path. They are not a stepladder to getting saved. We are not saved by doing works. There are ample scripture passages ensuring that a genuinely converted Christian can't lose salvation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The only thing we can do, we can forfeit rewards due to lack of service. That we can do. Some motivated, or others motivate uh, or extort, in a sense, by the law or through the law. And they confuse the church with Israel. They, they, they place rigid regulations on uh, service and giving, very firm parameters which, which aren't supported in the New Covenant. Uh, the, law, the law can apply pressure to both believers and unbelievers. It can be used for pressure. But that giving doesn't come out of a joyful heart. It doesn't arise out of a joyful heart, but of duty. That type of giving comes of duty, and eventually the law does turn the heart to a resentment. Um, That's one of the reasons, by the way, that that rigid legalistic churches, they're so sad. They're so sad. The Holy Spirit empowers through grace, and Christ motivates with reward. We, We see... What he gave on the cross. Scripture declares to us what he wants to give to us. True riches. We give because he gave. We love because he first loved us. And we're generous really because he's generous. And we look a lot like him. We were born again into his family. And to the level that we are found faithful. To that level Christ is going to reward us with riches that never fail. I believe By the way, this is the reason that back in Luke chapter 12, we saw this in verse 33. I believe this is the reason Jesus didn't get specific when he said, Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which will not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes and no moth destroys. So the question is, how much do I sell? How much do I downsize? How much do I simplify my life so that I can give more or serve more? Jesus didn't specify. He didn't specify. It's entirely up to you. And to the level that you sacrifice and you make those changes and are set apart to service to Him in all kinds of ways, not just money, to the level that you sacrifice, you will be rewarded with true riches in heaven promise from Christ because he knows he who is faithful in a very little thing will be faithful also when placed in charge of big things folks this is our test this is our proving ground this is our opportunity an opportunity that we won't get in heaven today's the day today's the day
Be generous. On the flip side, the complete opposite of this is seen in the second half of verse 10. He who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. So so if the person can't be trusted with managing eternal riches in heaven, if they haven't been able to manage even a tiny thing on earth, for Jesus explains in verse 11, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, that, that is wealth during this lifetime, wealth engaging this world, if you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? Listen closely to this next verse. And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, that meaning Christ's, God's, who will give you that which is your own? Hello? Light bulb. In regards to faithful use of that which is another's, in verse 12, we're talking about that which belongs to God. We're faithful with that. It's our temporary management of God's estate during this lifetime. What then does Jesus imply is his reward to those who are found faithful? Seen in the second half, by the way, of verse 12. Think the inverse, the opposite of those who are deemed unfaithful. Honestly here, I think this is very important. I'm not trying to invent a new heresy. Really, this is important. Jesus seems to be suggesting in verse 12, if proven faithful, opposite of what the unfaithful is, he will give you a heavenly inheritance in estate at the end of verse 12, which is your own. What is the difference between the current estate that we manage and our future inheritance in heaven? This one on earth, we've got for a little while. Maybe a few decades. It's temporary. The reward of inheritance we will receive in heaven, that estate that is awarded to us, it's permanently. Permanently. Um, It will be as if it is our own. Because it never fades away. It's never going to be melted down as everything here is going to be melted down. You know, folks, I think I hear my wallet saying the sinner's prayer. He's repenting. Folks, I think he's just been saved. we got to listen to this. We can't pass up this opportunity because it's available for a limited time. There is probably no greater detrimental effect to the gospel and the spread of the gospel than a false notion that we're all just going to be rewarded in heaven equally no matter how we behave on earth. We know in our hearts that isn't right. But we need to be told. Christ has just told us through His Word. Because people think it doesn't matter, they don't get involved. They don't give. They don't support missionaries. They don't go into the ministry. Folks, this is a wake-up call. Christ wants to reward each of us. Uh, Since we've been entrusted here, we look at this, we've been each entrusted with very diverse amounts of of an estate. Everyone here has got a little bit different income, resources, management, uh, wealth, 
skill, all kinds of things. It's very diverse amongst us, which is good. Do you not think then when we get to heaven that the delegation will also be diverse? Folks, Scripture assures us that God's kingdom will be a physical kingdom. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. And through our tears, He will say, I told you so. I told you so. You had my word. I gave you plenty of warning. In fact, I wonder if this has anything to do when He comes and we're seeing Him uh, uh, for the greatness, the righteousness that He is, our beloved Christ, and that passage, it says, he will wipe away every tear. I wonder how many missed opportunities we're going to be wiping away. Saying, if I just would have shared that gospel a little more. If I just would have been a little more faithful. God gave me so much. I could have used it for his glory. We have no excuse. Serve God now. Whatever resources you have. And give whatever you have of your life to give now. Verse 13 assures us, no servant can serve two masters, for he'll either hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. You'll serve either one, but you won't serve both. Don't delay. Don't delay. Uh, Be faithful with the little, the seemingly little that we have. Um, One other thing before we close. Don't be deceived into thinking that once I earn more, that then I'll be faithful. That, that if somehow I were hit a big inheritance or, or something like the lottery and a whole bunch of money, that finally then I would become faithful as I had much. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. That, that's a fallacy. Scripture proves that wrong. Christ says he was un- unrighteous with a very little thing, is also unrighteous with much. You can't wait to hit the lottery and say, I'll give a bunch to the Lord then. That day probably won't come. Especially if you play as often as I do. Ain't gonna come. And if you're not faithful with the seemingly little you have today, Scripture assures you won't be faithful if you suddenly were rich. Uh, Folks, we don't need millions. We don't. None of us here has to have millions. If you do, great. Great. Um... You shouldn't be shamed for being successful. God allots to each one according to his ability. Um, But it doesn't matter if God's given you a lot or a little to manage. You can be faithful either way. Uh, Most of our portfolios are just a a mix. A mix of, like you see on those little pie charts on 401s, right? A little cash here, portfolio diverse over here. We have skills over here, the ability to teach other things. Uh, Most of us have way more than we think. We do. Um, invest in the kingdom, folks. It will pay big dividends when Christ returns. Pursue true riches. Let's pray. Father, wow. To think of that day when you will come. And Lord, uh, for each of us, we know that that could be tomorrow. Very well, you say, uh, we do not know the hour nor the day. Lord, for others of us, we'll go to see you face to face even before you return. That could be any day. That could be tomorrow. It might be 30 years from now. But Lord, we know the day will come. That day will come. So Lord, bless us and encourage us uh, with your word that you are so generous. That you want us to have just the greatest possible experience uh, throughout eternity. 
And uh, Lord, we don't know exactly what that looks like. It doesn't matter. We want you to be glorified. Lord, we want you to be magnified so that uh, uh, these, these people we engage will be worshiping you throughout eternity. Lord, that's the true riches that we seek for. And uh, as we engage our culture, uh, this nation, Lord, we pray for it today, um, knowing it struggles, but that you're in control of all things. Father, uh, uh, we know that you never fail, and our hope is in you. And uh, Lord, we would pray that for our nation, uh, the Holy Spirit would move, move people to repent, that we'd look at our sin, look at we've, what we've done and how we've behaved, and we'd cry out to Jesus for forgiveness, Lord. Please bless us with that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.